Welcome to Two Way Street. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, glad to have you all with us today. I'm really thrilled that our guest on today's show is uh, Brandon Bush. He's an Atlanta-based recording artist. Uh, primarily, Brandon, I think of you as a keyboard player almost, almost exclusively, but you play other instruments as well, right? I do, I do, but keyboards is where I hang my hat, so to say. Speak. You, uh, you were part of that big surge of talent that came out of Decatur's Eddie Attic. We'll talk about those folks a little bit during the show, people who went on to national prominence. You're on tour right now um, in the uh, Sugarland Reunion Tour, and we're lucky to get you on an off day when you're in town. You were uh, uh, featured on one of John Mayer's biggest-selling records. We'll get to that during uh, the show today, too. You were a member of the San Francisco-based rock band Train? Wow. All, all true. And a former member of the board of the National Recording Academy, which, of course, is the organization that's responsible for the Grammy Awards. And then the Georgia uh, group that pushed for a tax credit for uh, artists, which, again, is called... Georgia Music Partners. Right, we're going to get to all of that Whew. as we talk. First of all, thank you for, on a day off from the tour, uh, being here with us. The Sugarland Tour has been a very, very big deal. You all were in on a hiatus for yeah. five plus years after yeah. really being the biggest act in country music, and now you're back out on the road. How does that feel to be back together? Well, first of all, it's a thrill to be in here. So thank you for <laughs> including me in the show. I'm a fan of the show, so it's, I'm you. fanboying out a little bit. Um, it is a it is a thrill to be back at back to work with Sugarland. Um, it, it is in many ways kind of bittersweet because we were very much a family. So in the you know seven to eight years of the rise of the band, which was a, a very quick rise from when I started playing with them to we were playing sold out arenas and, and an occasional stadium, you know, on the side, we, um, we really bonded and it was one group of people, one group of musicians on stage and, and many for a long period of time, one group of crew members with us. And you really get close to these people. And we went through our, the stage collapse in Indianapolis that yeah. um, a tragic moment like that, that we all lived through and, and had this extra sort of unwelcome but but very bonding moment through that yeah we should remind people that th this was you were playing an outdoor concert in indianapolis yeah. 2007 2008 that something right, yeah. like that and um and you did have a stage collapse and there were a number of people killed there's some that. fatalities and uh members of our crew who were uh injured um and and we we toured for another year after that but but in many ways you know, there was a bit of uh, the momentum was gone and uh, uh, taking a break after that. And, you know, you, we never really knew if we were coming back, especially those of us more in the employed zone. We don't ri we don't drive the <laughs> ship. You know, we're down with manning the oars. Yeah, we should point out, of course, that that the front people in Sugarland are your brother, Christian yes. Bush uh, and uh, Jennifer Nettles. Nettles uh, yes. They kind of drive the whole thing forward. They do. And, and so we're not the decision makers, those of us, um, you know, related. And um, so you never quite know what's coming. And to be back together, and it's it's not the same group of people. In many ways, the, the band is almost the same. Um, a few people have gone other ways, and, yeah. and we've made adjustments. But we have new people that we love and, you know, enjoying playing music with. And then the crew is almost completely different. And in that sense, 
It's new people that you're trying to indoctrinate into a culture yeah. of daily life that's yeah. not just another gig. It's not just a thing we do. It's, it's kind of a way we live. Yeah. And uh, one of our guitar techs just said to me the other day, he said, man, I hope there's more work coming. Because this is the first time of doing this for years I've really felt like I love the organization. Well, your fans uh, were devastated. You'd really risen, as you said, in a relatively short period of time to the top of country music. And your fans were devastated when uh, the group broke up. Um, and so when the announcement came that, that Christian and Jennifer were reuniting uh, and you were all going to be back on the road, it was greeted with unbelievable fanfare and excitement. And um, my wife, Janice, and I, as you know, got to see your show out in Gwinnett County and uh, just a week or so ago. And uh, it's a great, great show. And before we talk a little more about that, the the tour is called – or it's – called Bigger. Bigger is the name of the record. It's the name of the record, and that's the big song in the show. Let's listen to a little bit of Sugarland's Bigger. Sugarland's uh, bigger, the big song, a big record off of the uh, the reunion album that yeah. you uh, put out. All right, so we got Sugarland. You're back out on tour in through the early part of September, I think. That's correct. But let's go back in your career. Can we do that? In <laughs> fact, let's go back in your life. Sure. Your family uh, was uh, based in. You you all started life at least in Sevierville, Tennessee. Little town in East Tennessee, but famous because... Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton is from Sevierville. So um, when Christian, you know, Christian, of course, has been on the show a few times, and um, and one of his visits here, we talked about the fact that Dolly was a big part of your uh, growing up in that town. Let's listen to what Christian said, because oh, you're boy. part of this story. <laughs> yeah, Dolly Parton's from Sevierville, and... The music that she was writing and still is writing to this day and performing is so very authentically that couple of blocks of uh, those those two mountains and those two fields that are between them. That's where we're all from. And it completely makes sense when I hear her sing a song. When I was growing up, uh, she would come back and perform at the high school every year. She'd come back and perform. And I remember more than twice being there. And I remember when they renamed the road outside the high school to Dolly Parton Parkway. And uh, it became a kind of rite of passage to steal that sign. (laughs) (laughs) And I may or may not have that sign in my studio at the moment. (laughs) I will not disclose it to the Sevier County Highway Patrol. But it, it was pretty fantastic. You know, it's one of those things where when someone like that lives in your town, you believe that that job is possible. Improbable, 
but possible. And of course, I'm older than you, so I remember when she and Porter Wagner were still partners. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I, it's it's funny to me because my brother and I joke all the time um, that, you know, we got to perform with Dolly once as an opening act, like as little tiny kids playing their violins. And we always maintain that maybe the music business happened after she hugged us. We were like, oh, man. Whatever this is, I want to stay here forever. All right. I'm totally into the music business. Can we do that? So you find, yeah. <laughs> Your brother talking to, so you did play with Dolly Parton. You were playing, yes. were you both playing violin we when you were little violin, kids? Yes. And so, yeah, he tells the story. I think he's a much more PG version than the story I tell. Because I, I was five years old walking off stage to a big hug from Dolly Parton. And, uh, yeah, I, synapses are in your brain. They're still forming at that age, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. No, Christian uh, tells the the the, the uh, our version. He <laughs> says he was just about the right height yeah. <laughs> when Dolly hugged him. And look to at really, us now. To, yes. Yeah, to be a, uh, to see her assets yes. uh, close. Yes, <laughs> yes. So it's all thanks to Dolly. So, so Severeville. You know, it. Tell me your version of what Sevierville was like growing yeah, up. Yeah, and and it's interesting. Every time I get to hear my brother talk about our early childhood too, it's it's so different. Because our age difference, he's only three years older than me, but I left there in four, well, what would have been third grade at the Went end of third Knoxville? grade. Went to Knoxville? Is that where the Knoxville. family moved? Yeah. 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 And, and in many ways started kind of my, my middle adolescence in, in that period, you know, was much more looking outward, whereas our early childhood, you know, was definitely centered there in Sevierville. And to me, it was, it was our crazy, uh, overambitious mother who had me doing and, and Christian as well, in many ways, uh, violin, piano lessons. I did soccer, t-ball, gymnastics. I did ballet. I was in a play group. I went to a reading group at the at the uh, library. And it was, every day was two two activities. And as a parent now, I think like that's insane, <laughs> you know. Um, but my that's my memory of, of Sevierville is literally being in the back of the car, being you know driven back and forth to these various extracurriculars. But look. Your musical training has become your profession. Uh, pretty remarkable that both you and your brother uh, went on to become professional uh, musicians. Yeah, it's and it's a 100% from that exposure at that early age. And whether or not we were any good at it, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself some sort of prodigy that was discovered and I'm pursuing some, you know, talent that was innate in me now. Uh, to me, I simply showed an interest in something and was rewarded for that interest at a very early age. So let me jump ahead just a little bit. Uh, both you and Christian ended up here in Atlanta. Um, he went to Emory University. Did you follow him to Atlanta? Did you move here? Was sort your of. path separate from his? Uh, sort of. It was a bit accidental. I went to Washington University in St. Louis, and I was living in Durham, North Carolina, playing with a band and kind of pursuing doing my own thing. Um, and and temporarily stopped by Atlanta the summer of the Olympics in 96 to play a show with his band and play the on Billy Pilgrim, Billy Pilgrim at that Pilgrim, point? Right? Okay. We had a show down uh, at the Olympic Plaza opening for Sheryl Crow, and I was going to play on a record while I was here and, frankly, never left. I just one record came the next record, and I was suddenly employed. I, wanted, I, I do need to go back to Tennessee for just yeah. one moment, and then we're going to talk about your career here uh, because— um, although I understand that the families are no longer close, we do need to point out that when people hear the Bush name, mm -hmm. it's true. 
You are part of the Bush Bean family. You're, I think, Jay Bush, who's yes. a spokesman for the company, is your cousin. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we have. It's it's funny. Christian and I are currently on, on a debate about doing a little deep dive into this. Um, but yeah, the truth is, we are connected to that company. When I was in, we were moving, getting ready to move to Knoxville in third grade. It was explained to me that my grandfather, who wanted to have the annual jamboree in the big factory where they would clear it out and have a customer appreciation party, where we opened for said Dolly Parton earlier, um, that he wanted to have the party and the board didn't. And we were leaving the factory and we were leaving the company completely because of that fact. And I believed that way too long. <laughs> so, the truth, I don't quite know the details, uh, even to this day. Do you know so, that dog by any chance, uh, I don't, and I've heard he was an Atlanta dog, like he's not a family dog per se. So <laughs> oh, okay. He's a professional. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. All right, so okay. let's bring you up to, up, up yeah. to Atlanta. Sure. Um, and I said in introducing you that you all became part of what was a remarkable group of uh, creative artists, of one wonderful musical artists that were all playing at Eddie's Attic mm -hmm. Indicator. And for those who don't know it, Eddie's Attic really is one of the finest listening rooms in the country. Yeah. You know, I always think about running up to Nashville to go to the Bluebird Cafe, which is, of course, legendary. It's a great music listening room. But in many ways, Eddie, Eddie's Attic is right up there uh, with we're, Bluebird. We're spoiled in this town. I mean, you could, on a, on a random Tuesday or Wednesday, you can go into Eddie's, and I can almost guarantee you at some point you will tear up or get chill bumps from somebody's song you've never heard. Yeah. So some of the people who you got to know at Eddie's Attic would have included uh, Emily, yep. Emily and Amy Ray, yep. Yep. Salyers and Ray, who are the Indigo the Girls. Indigo girls. Yes. Uh who else? And so uh, one of the early connections was Sean Mullins. But stop right there. Okay. Because uh, you actually uh, played on at least one that I know of Sean Mullins' song. And it's a great song. We're not going to play uh, as much of it as I'd like to right now. But let's hear just a little bit of Sean Mullins' lullaby. Sure. That's a great song. Sean yeah, Mullins' so Lullaby. Good. I haven't heard it in a minute either. It's so nice to hear it again. Where did you record that? We did that here in Atlanta, a little place um, off of Howe Mill. Yeah. Um, I really credit that that record. We I was playing a show with Billy Pilgrim down at the uh, Flora, Floribama right there at the on the you know the panhandle. Yeah. And Sean Mullins came to see us, and we were playing a show together the next night, and I rode with Sean instead of riding with my brother and Andrew because I needed a break from there. And Andrew and, Sh and, Andrew and your Hira. brother being yeah, Billy Pilgrim. Pilgrim. Yeah. yeah. 
And so I rode with Sean that next day, and he he described this song to me in in such detail. He had a vision. He he wanted this drum beat, this loop. He wanted this talking verse. He 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 didn't hadn't written the song yet, but he knew what he wanted. And uh, and I had just been experimenting with making these loops and and this kind of work. And and I said, hey, will you let me give this a shot? Let me put the band together. And so when we got back to Atlanta, we we I brought in my my friends who I'd been making music with and made this record. Well, those loops you're talking about are just drive that song forward in such a great way. There's a propulsive energy to that song that's just terrific. And it, and it really suits. I mean, what, what was magical about it is that he knew that first verse. Like, he knew how his voice was going to get in your head and paint this picture of this, you know, being lost in L.A. in yeah. this world. And, oh, I just, it, yeah. Where, where is Sean Mullins these days? Uh, here in Atlanta, He's I believe. He's still right yeah, here. Yeah. Last time I, I saw him last year at a show, we played uh, up in Alpharetta. I, I want to—so, um, we, we, Sean Mullins, the Indigo Girls, we, don't, we didn't mention Michelle Malone, who's yes. had a career, yes. came out of Eddie's Attic as well. Those must have been heady times. Jennifer and Christian yes. basically met, I think, playing through, through separately at Eddie's Attic. Exactly right. Um, Christian tells the story about playing the first night, the opening night of Eddie's Attic. I don't know if you were yeah, part of that. No. Okay, so he talks about that and says it was such a new venue that he opened the uh, venue, and the night before was painting the walls. Yeah, they were still painting the walls. <laughs> I know it. I know it. All right, before we yes. take our, a break, I, in fact, we'll, we'll take the break, but I want to make sure people know what's coming up. Um, I said in the introduction that you uh, recorded, I mean, you've recorded with lots of people, but I asked you to single out a few people uh, uh, like Sean Mullins, uh, who you've recorded with, uh, who we could hear a little excerpt from. And one of the others is you did work with John Mayer on, I think it's fair to say, one of the biggest and earliest uh, hits or earlier hits in his career. Let's do that when we come back from a break. Um, This is Two Way Street. My guest is Brandon Bush. He's out on the Sugarland tour. We're going to talk more about that and his entire career after this. Welcome back to Two Way Street. I'm Bill Nygut. My guest, Brandon Bush of Sugarland. Uh, I guess we say of Sugarland right now because you're out on the Sugarland tour. Yeah, I'll wear that flag right now. <laughs> Which, by the way, I mentioned before that uh, Janice and I saw the show out at the Duluth Arena, the whatever Infinite Energy, Infinity, whatever, whatever they call name it. Is. You yeah. had, there wasn't a seat to be had in that house. And those, and your fans are so in love with the music that you perform. It was really thrilling to get to see that. It's, it, it, it is a powerful thing to be a part of an organization. Even, you know, I'm playing keyboards, and I'm, I'm steps removed from, from delivering the yeah, message. Yeah, you're steps removed, but you're still... But I get the to, way you play the keyboard, well, <laughs> you're quite an entertainer, Brandon. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> but it's a really powerful thing. I've been thinking about this a lot this summer, especially having taken such a long break from this level of touring. To look out at thousands and thousands of people and and to think, I mean, I, I do this little exercise every night where I kind of pick pick some people out at random and I think, okay, they bought their tickets maybe a month or so ago. They've had it on the calendar, had to get babysitters, you know, like uh, there's been a whole ordeal to get to this next hour and a half yeah. and of excitement and anticipation and probably some pain in the butt and having to pay for parking and, you know, there's... There, 
And now they get this hour and a half, and I get this amazing job of getting to be a part of this delivery method yeah, yeah. of these songs that yeah. mean things to them, and it's amazing. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about John. Uh, 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 let's talk a little bit about um, John Mayer. Uh, how did you start working with John Mayer? Yeah, he. Uh, it's it's a funny story. My my brother who is the conduit for much in my life, uh, he moved in next to um, a couple named Miko and, and Lissa. And they were the neighbors, like, literally gardening across the fence, talking about this, that, and the other thing. Turns out they're musicians. Miko is a musician. He had a little shed in the back of his house where he liked to drink beer and play his trumpet and have people over. And his friend Joey uh, brought... His new employee, John Mayer, who was working third shift at the duplication plant, the video duplication plant that he worked. Where? Uh, somewhere up 85. Yeah, he was here in Atlanta. Here in, in Atlanta. Those he, days. Had, he had moved yeah. here. Um, and so we, we really met him kind of innocently through the neighbor's buddy's friend, right? And said, oh, well, he needs a singer songwriter. We need to get him connected to Eddie's. And it didn't take long at all before he and Clay Cook, who he played with at the time, um, were playing up there. And he was working the door and, you know, really walked right into that scene just fine. And know? boy, talk about a guy whose career took off. I mean, really exploded. Let, let's listen to a little bit of uh, 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 one of the records that you accompanied, uh, you are playing keyboard on. Uh, here's John Mayer with Brandon Bush on keyboards. hoping to get to the chorus but we didn't your no. body is a wonderland <laughs> yes. what was that did you know when you record where did you record that we did so the keyboards were done as an overdub okay uh, they did the basics in new york and and i didn't get the call uh till pretty late in the project um i played on there was an ep that he had done before this that really led to him getting signed and i knew he was doing the record and it would it had sort of mentioned to me i might get the call to come do it but i hadn't heard and i got the call pretty short notice Flew up to uh, a house on the Chesapeake Bay. The producer, John Alasia, who's a, a renowned uh, producer, had his parents' house, his empty parents' house on the Chesapeake Bay, um, kind of retrofitted into a studio. And so we spent a week up there just sleeping in the house, waking up, and we were doing mostly keyboard overdubs and a little bit of guitar and a little bit of vocal. And it was an absolute fantastic week of my life. It's one of the sessions I look back on just in terms of how it was put together and how the energy was and the work we were getting done as just pure fun. Was it all focused on your body as a wonderland? or did no, you it was the whole record. You did the whole record. Yeah. Um, when you hear a song like that coming together, yeah. do you know 
Do you it's, realize, or is it always a guess? It's it, to me, it's always a guess, and I I wonder about this same question all the time. When I listen to great songs that mean so much and are so impactful, I think, did they know? Yeah. Do you know when you're sitting in the in the studio that that it's not so much the song as the recording? Because what you're talking about is this one version of it that you're recording that is going to get out there, and do you know? And it, it's hard to tell. Now we all knew John was very talented, and we knew that this record was going to sort of introduce him in many ways to pop culture, to the world of the music industry. But whether or not it was going to fall on deaf ears, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. The big Sugarland breakout song was uh, Baby Girl, of course. Did you know th about that song? No, not at all. And that one in particular, because uh, that first record, the first Sugarland record was done, uh, again, they're not a big band at this point. You're, you're a baby band trying to break in. And we did it all in three days. And it's a pretty typical uh, Nashville style where you're doing three or four, you're, you're cramming the songs in as fast as you can. And there really is no time, time to stop and think about it. Yeah. Um, but they knew Baby Girl was a special message. But yeah. it took a year on the radio before it before really it became really a took hit. Up. And yeah. man, when you play it now at yeah. the concerts, holy cow, the place goes crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do one more song uh, uh, that you... Uh, suggested you'd love us to yeah. play in talking about the people you've worked with. You were part of the uh, San Francisco-based rock band Train. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Train. Yeah, so uh, they they were a band that were recorded here in Atlanta and through a producer named Brendan O'Brien, who I had done work with. And uh, it wasn't... They had done their big breakout record. Uh, well, Meet Virginia was a big hit for them on their first record. And then Drops of Jupiter became this sort of top... 10 worldwide hit for them. And ironically, they didn't have a keyboard player in the band. It was Chuck Lavelle who actually recorded the piano part. Who's a, a Macon artist. I mean, yeah. been, been living in Georgia for his entire life, worked with everybody from the rolling. He's worked with every Everybody. act yes. in rock and roll yes. and, and beyond. And not only a fantastic musician, a fantastic player, but one of the nicest men on earth. Yeah, beautiful and, you know, person. Yeah. So, um, when it was time, they had recorded their third record with Brendan O'Brien again, and they had done it here in Georgia, and they needed a keyboard player. Turns out they had auditioned some people. Somebody didn't who took the job couldn't do it. Again, very last minute, which is kind of a theme in my life. I get the call. Would I be willing to join this band? And it was, of course, I knew the band. I knew what the work was, but I also knew my life as a sideman. It, it's not all that. You know, it's not like... Um, even though the band is real big, it doesn't really, it's still a job, right? And so if the people aren't right, if the, if the style of the touring isn't right, then why do it, right? It's just my life. And uh, I tried to impart that upon the members of Train, um, and they took a little offense at my, like, not just automatically saying yes, um, which I think ironically led to me when I went out and played with them, they were happy to offer me the gig. I think I was maybe the first guy who didn't necessarily want it until I had met them. Um, so anyway, I, I joined them as a sideman, toured with them for uh, over almost two years, yeah. and at which point I ended up joining the band. They offered me sort of a yeah. slice of the pie. Why did you pick uh, Cab as a song that we should listen to from Train? To me, it's, uh, well, it's one that I wrote. So one That's of the, a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> so one of, one of the great joys of joining that band was that Pat Monahan, the singer, he was at a period where he really didn't have his musical writing partners. He was kind of a little bit lost. He wanted somebody to come in and, and show him uh, something new, a new direction. 
And it was just perfect opportunity for me. I, I really jumped at the chance. I loved doing it. And I came in and most of this whole record was me writing music that Pat was writing lyrics to. He was very, he doesn't like, uh, he wanted to write his own lyrics, which I completely understand. And, uh, and Cab was one that really came out of this sort of one-to-one -one collaboration between but, us. So Sorry, let's yeah. listen to a little bit of Cab. Sound yeah, is that yeah. is that you on keyboards yes. uh, filtering it through whatever? It's a, it's you... a Moog keyboard. It is a yeah, Moog keyboard. Yeah, okay, yeah. and that is you. In addition yeah. to the beautiful little piano introduction that we hear on that song, that's all you, Brandon. Yes, yeah. a lot of that actually came from the original writing demo. So we just played piano and drums on top of it, um, which happens a lot. And, yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, so okay, that's just taking a little walk through some of your career. Yeah. But one of the other things that you and I discussed um, when we talked about doing the show is I said, well, why don't you, you know, give us some ideas of the people whose work you really uh, like, who have influenced yeah. you uh, one way or the other. And uh, <laughs> I, we're not going to get to all of them, but it would be crazy if I didn't start with Rolf the dog, yes. <laughs> who is from the Muppets. The Muppets. Let's the Muppets. listen to your selection of, yes. from Rolf the dog. When the whippoorwill is singing in the forest That's a whippoorwill right there When the little brook is murmuring a tune When the mockingbird is chirping in the wild wood And a lonely wolf is howling at the moon When the leaves of the old oak tree start a rustling and a waterfall makes sounds like woman's tears when the whole world is filled with mother nature's noises that's the time to stuff cotton in your ears oh good <laughs> okay <laughs> that's but a great little song it is and it's <laughs> You know, to me, I mean, I grew up watching the Muppets. The Muppets just ruled the world to me. And to this day, if you if you gave me a choice of like, you know, go through door one and it's real life again, door two, the Muppets are real. Door two every time for me. I mean, it's I have such a emotional, strong, you know, uh, emotional attachment to them. But to me, he was he was this. I knew I loved piano. I knew I played, and he was the piano player I was looking at all the time. And he had this amazing ability. I, I didn't know it at the time, but when I look back on it. He never took himself seriously. You know, he never got sucked into this as a, um, 
uh, there's just no self-consciousness yeah. in Ralph the dog, right? He's there to entertain, and yet his heart is on his sleeve every time he plays. I love that. That's, I love that. Oh. I, I was really, when I first heard that song, I thought, this is, I'm glad we're doing yes. this. Yes! Yeah. Oh. I want to do something else, because this takes us into a part of your life that is really, uh, to me, fascinating. One of the other artists that you uh, said has had an influence on you is, uh, is it called, is, is the name Shiemi Ari? How do you say that? Shiemi Ari? Shiemi Ari, I think, is, yes, the best. Okay, without saying another word about who that is, let's play just a little bit of the song that you selected. <laughs> uh, Hank Williams never sounded so Japanese. No, no kidding, yes. <laughs> yeah, so she is a, um, she is kind of a lounge singer, came out of the post-war Japan era, and has an amazing catalog. I mean, it's really fun to go back and, and do some digging there, but I, I found that recording not too long ago, and it, I keep playing it over and over again, because, you know, you're so familiar with the song, and that, and that, that of course, Hank Williams is, is so American in its yeah. roots. I mean, yeah. we're talking about, like, really what I consider to be some of the core American, you know, uh, cultural motifs. Yeah. And, uh, and here it's being sung phonetically, mostly, um, by a Japanese artist. Yeah, and who it is, doesn't probably speak English, not as very you well, point out. Right. Yeah, um, and yeah. it's like Cajun words on top of it, you know, it's like, <laughs> which is amazing. But that many layers of cultural appropriation, um, to me, you start to get to, uh, I don't want to say truth, because I think that's overstating it, but you start to get to something that uh, I think you can, you can start to, I don't know, see in a context that... Uh, to me, is where I want to live. It's a little bit absurd. It's a little yeah. bit left field. Yeah. You know? Okay. But here's the bigger story about this, and that is you are totally in love with Japan and have spent well, a good amount of time there. Yeah, so there's that part, too. Well, tell us about, but <laughs> so, tell us about that. Yeah, I started actually studied Japanese in high school. I, I went to a high school that, for random reasons, offered Japanese, and I took it on a whim, and I fell in love with the language and then spent some time in Japan, did a, a exchange during school, went and backpacked around after high school, which was, uh, again, as a parent now, I can't imagine what my parents were thinking, but I was very grateful for the opportunity. And I have held on to the Japanese language and um, then try to make it over there as much as I can. And I just, there, there's an amazing uh, view into a world that I don't think you get in Western culture when you can sub submerse yourself. Now, it's, I've spent some time in China. It's completely different. Uh, Southeast Asia, completely different. So it's, But to me, there's something very specific about Japanese culture that is so, uh, again, it it's, it's, doesn't take itself too seriously. Have you 
it, it in, infused any of your music with that kind of Japanese sound? In other words, you know, last time Bela Fleck and Abby Washburn were yeah. on the show, Abby talk, is now in the middle of making a record with one of the artists, musical artists, that she uh, got to know very well in China. Yeah. And it's this incredible blend of her roots music and the Chinese roots music. Yeah. Have you done that with Japan at all? Um, uh, only uh, unsuccessfully. So I, I actually went, <laughs> last January I went over to Japan to, to Tokyo to do some songwriting and there's a, a industry or a genre called j-pop japanese pop yeah. and j-pop uh, stands apart from korean pop k-pop or any other kind of pop music in the sense that it is very formulaic uh, you have to follow you know this formula to get it out it goes this way and that way and i was so excited to get over there and write some j-pop with real j-pop writers and every writer I sat down with was like, please, let's not write J-pop. Let's write American music. Interesting. Yeah. And so I just I, I couldn't open a door, um, which was fascinating to me. But, you know, it's also probably I was going to be not very good at it because it was my <laughs> first right. attempt. All right. We got to get another break in. Yeah. Uh, when we come back more with Brandon Bush, we're going to he trade. He, we're going to trade songs. He picked a Beach Boy song. I picked a different Beach Boy song. We'll be right back. People walking around like the world's about to end. Welcome back to Two Way Street. Um, I'm Bill Nygut, and I'm here with Brandon Bush of Sugarland. He's out on tour with the band right now. They're a reunion tour, but home in Atlanta for just a couple of days. Um, so, Brandon, thanks for being here for the show. Yeah, and it's a pleasure to be here. We've been uh, we've been we've been talking about music. In addition to the music that you've played, um, you've picked a couple of some selections of music that either in, has influenced you or that you really love. Mm-hmm. I was interested in the fact that one of the songs you picked was uh, the Beach Boys song "Ceylon." There's such an extraordinary body of Beach Boy oh, music, wow. which I've been catching up on because I just discovered that Sirius XM has a Beach Boy channel. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, why that one? You know, uh, partly it's it's that record Holland, which is just a bizarre corner of the Beach Boys <laughs> repertoire. Um, Wait, Brian Wilson with a bizarre corner. Yeah, what imagine a surprise. That. I know. So you're post-Pet Sounds, <laughs> yeah. but still Brian Wilson. And I guess they, I don't know the full story, but the, the just as they took their studio to Holland and uh, made a record. And of course, I think they were imbibing on all kinds of craziness. And the record's got like narration and they're telling some story about California and Big Sur and all this kind of stuff. But that song in particular, which is the leadoff track on it, to me is just power pop genius. Yeah, and it's got, again, a driving beat that um, that really propels that song. So here's the one that I picked. Oh, touche. Because I just, it's so Brian Wilson in the way that he bends uh, his music, the way that we he catches us by surprise as he he doesn't do the next four bars or eight bars the way you expect. He changes it up. Mm-hmm. 
there it is, oh, that good. moment. You yes. still believe. He doesn't go down. He goes, me. He comes up. Yeah. That's yes. Brian Wilson. Yes. Uh, could we just sit and listen to music all day? This yeah. is fun. Yeah. I want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun. It is. I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, it, it, the Beach Boys, um, they are... It, I'm not sure that people... I was thinking about this with Dolly Parton when we first talked. Uh, there are people who don't understand what a brilliant, brilliant songwriter right. uh, and musician Dolly Parton has been because right. they see the image. Right. There's an extent to which... I mean, everybody loves the Beach Boys, but I'm not sure people get how brilliant Brian Wilson really has been in his career. Yeah, and it's one of the, the cruel realities of the music business, right, is the music business has a job to serve, which is to kind of give in the deal in these images and market and sell them. And a lot of times you don't realize right under the cover is just uh, something amazing. But right next door to it might not be that depth yeah. from that other, you know, thing that you're consuming. And you yeah. just... If you don't take the time, you'll never know. Well, I'm glad you brought the Beach Boys into this show, and I'm going to go back and listen to the Holland album again oh, because dude, I haven't be heard careful. it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play something for you because you give me an opportunity to uh, confess to our listeners about a musical passion of mine that uh, my wife will tell you she's so tired of hearing this music in our house all the time. <laughs> I am a huge fan of this guy, the composer. The chair is still a chair Even if there's no one sitting there Dionne Warwick singing Burt Bacharach, I mean, and of course she was his... Yeah, his muse in many ways. Muse. Or, yeah. Everything everything that he wrote sounds better when it's sung by her, sure. except when it's sung by Burt Bacharach himself, yes. who really is a wonderful, terrible singer. But he's the perfect terrible singer. He's the, yeah. I, Bacharach... I, it, do you share any of my interest in that? I do. Matter of fact, uh, I, what's funny to me is that I, I love a lot of kind of weird, loungy, um, kind of off-center exotica, right? And you'll find when you, and you go through music that there's so many songs that he wrote that are these little instrumental ditties that have just been sort of tossed away. There's one called On Bond Street that is great, that I always come back to. You know, um, he, he really knew how to create that environment. Yeah. That draws you in, yeah. and that's a, that example is a great one because you are, you need to know what's happening yeah. in that song. That's right. It's a great story song. Got to know. Um, you did a radio show I that, did. unfortunately, uh, over at um, the BMLB. You know, is that yeah, right? Sixteen. Yeah. I haven't said it out loud. No way. Sixteen ninety. Yeah. Um, and you had a, a, a colleague over there, Rex Patton. You yes. each did shows. Rex, yes. a, a bass player 
who over the years, did you ever play with Rex? No, okay. I've never played with so him. So Rex played with a lot of yeah. Southern bands, particularly. Yes. And uh, Rex Patton is a, it, he and I uh, exchange notes about Bacharach yes, all the time. Yes. Do you, you must miss having that out. Oh, I miss it. I miss it so much. I, it was my, my true weekly joy. You know, it's program. It was two hours of music. I programmed a week. I would sit down, I'd recorded it at home, sit down on Sunday night and sit down and just wax poetic about music for two hours. I loved it. And, yeah. and I, I miss it because it, it forces you to really consume music, keep up the pace of consuming music. Yeah. I was constantly going out to find something, not necessarily newly released music, but just digging down weird holes. Yeah. And love yeah. it. Yeah, I'm sorry you don't have that. And in fact, I'm sorry the station is gone because yeah. it was one of the few places, certainly it was the only place on the AM dial that was actually showcasing uh, arts in yeah. any way. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sorry well, God bless I'm Joe Weber for that. doing it as long That's as he right. did it, man. I, <laughs> he's a good man. Uh, let me pick another song of yours. Uh, because uh, I get exactly why you would say that you love to listen to uh, Booker T. Oh, yeah. pick that because I like that bluesy influence of yeah. that particular cut. Yeah. And um, he's just so wonderful. One of the, I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole Stax Records saga. Yeah. And one of the great things that came out of the story, you know, they were all very young and they were basically hanging out in the neighborhood where they built this studio. And, and it's what led to these amazing recordings. But one of the great things about Booker T is he left in the middle of it to go to college. I didn't know that. He went to get his music degree in, in Indiana in the middle of the heyday of Stax Records. I he did just not said, know that. I want to go get my I want to go get my masters in music and left and got it. Do you play organ? I do. That's uh, my primary. It is your yeah. I did not know I that. I mean it's all, you know, it's in the world of keyboards, but uh, I would I would kick the piano out before I had to kick the organ out of the house. Can you make an or I, I I can't tell you that I remember this, but can you uh, uh, make your org, your keyboard in the show? Do you have an organ sound? I do. In well, your actually, keyboard? I, I have tour with an old Hammond organ. It's an old C three from nineteen fifty six. Did yeah. not know that. Yeah. See, um, that's why I'm in the back of the stage. That's <laughs> <laughs> when. Uh, when I listen to organ, yeah. Richard Groove Holmes. Oh, yes. One absolutely. of the great jazz organs. Jimmy Smith gets all of the attention, yeah. as he well should, because yeah. he's a big power player. Yeah, he's Richard, on that Hammond. Groove Holmes, a yeah. little bit more subtlety in the yeah. way he plays the organ. No, and the, and, the, and there's one of the neat things about the organ is it, it by itself, it has no dynamics. And so how you play it, you, you need to really bring a character to the instrument that you can't get any other way. Any other jazz instrument you think about, it's all about dynamics. Yeah. Drums, saxophone, piano, whatever it is. But the organ is just on or off. Yeah. The button's down or not. That's all it is. 
I want to take you back. We've only got a few minutes left, and I want to take you back to Sugarland for a, a few minutes as we uh, come to a close uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, one of your big songs right now is a song that uh, I guess Christian co-wrote with Taylor Swift. Well, no, no? Uh, Taylor Swift wrote it. She wrote it and brought it to you? With Pat Monahan, singer oh. from Train. How I, about that for Small World? And they brought it to you. <laughs> yes. I, okay, thank you for correcting me. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to mention that is, you know, uh, Bill Anderson has been a guest on, oh, on this show, and Whisper Bill. and Bill. Great, great. One of the great country legends comes out of North Georgia. Yeah. Uh, he told on our show told a wonderful story about uh, a fan bringing a fan, a father bringing his daughter to meet Christian. Yeah. And uh, she was so excited to meet him. And the father said, you know, my daughter's trying to write music. Would you like to write a song with her? She was like 12 years old. And, of course, it was Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. <laughs> and Bill said, if only I had gone ahead. and, yeah. <laughs> and But here's what I really wanted to uh, yeah. uh, talk to you about. You, you said something at the beginning of the show, really, about the kind of family you've built around Sugarland. And, and that it's more than just a band. There's a feeling to it. Yeah. And, and as we, you know, move to the close here, I think that's true. Anybody who sees your show and anybody who listens to your music realizes that you're, in addition to being just good, plain good music, you guys are all about kind of elevating the spirit and, and speaking to our better Natures, and that comes through in the in the tour, uh, and I think that's been very important to Sugarland. And I wonder what that's like, especially in times that many people see us so dark right now. Well, exactly. I mean, I think it's so timely for us to be doing this now. It's not why we're doing it now, um, but to I, I've often described Sugarland as. Do you remember Up with People? Sure. So it's like Up with People and and Bon Jovi got together. And, and made Sugarland because it's there is this optimism um, that is so rooted in Sugarland's message, and it's it's because it's who Christian and Jennifer are. I mean, this is who they are, right? They they thrive on this. Let's let's build the world we want to be in. Let's let's uh, speak what how we want to live, and and that comes through in the songs and the music, and. To go out on the road now and to be a part of this cathartic experience of bringing people 90 minutes of of not only it's not always joy, you know, sometimes it's sadness, sometimes it's it's nostalgia. But but the bottom line is it's an escape in a time when we all need a little pressure off yeah. and to be connected and to look around the room and say, like, I'm I'm experiencing this with all these people together. Yeah. You know. It's one of the things that uh, really makes your music very, very special. We're out of time, uh, Brandon. I, I, I'm like you. I wish we could sit here and talk about music, talk <laughs> about your career for another few hours. But the clock has cut up I with understand. Us. Well, I cannot thank you enough for getting to come in and do this. It's, it's such a joy. Yeah, for me too. Brandon Bush of Sugarland, thanks so much for being here for Two Way Street. Take care.